In the terrible years of the Yevsov terror, I spent 17 months on the prison lines of Leningrad. Once, somebody recognized me. Then a woman with bluish lips standing behind me in line, which, of course, never heard my name before, woke from the stupor to which everyone had succumbed and whispered in my ear. Everyone spoke in whispers there. Can you describe this? And I answered, yes, I can. He had a long chain on. He had a long chain on. Had a long chain on. Had a long chain on. They killed Thank you for listening to Poet on Song, the podcast that proposes to love a poet with you and accompany them with great music. My name is Mariama Antoine, and today it is the rootful cry of Anna Akmaktova, the voice through which a hundred million screamed that we'll explore. society is entering some phase of completion, the end of a cycle, and we feel it, don't we? And this need for renewal of our attitudes, our institutions, our environmental practices, how we choose to share the Earth's resources. Here we are, 20 years into the 21st century, and as I see the staggering rise of populism in the world, I can't help but wonder, what is in store for us? Mikhail Gorbachev said that this century would either be all-embracing crisis or moral and spiritual healing. I am hopeful. I am hopeful because I believe in the healing power of shared compassion. And if the artist is the antenna of the race, then the poet points to what is worth living for. If we look back a hundred years into the past and look at the end of that cycle, two things stand in my mind as great evils, the violence of colonization and the utter slaughters of totalitarianism, a system whose bitter fruit Akmaktova tasted. And what lessons on suffering does she teach? For me, it's the idea that the path to devastation is almost always the same. That though its manifestation may image different tableaus of that bloodiness, totalitarianism subverts our humanity, hurts us in harsh and corroding ways. That suffering remains a universal and bonding aspect of the human psyche because we are so deeply connected and our ability to feel 
Beethoven's song is capable of articulating love with exactitude, with an emotional precision that cuts the core of you. What makes her so powerful a voice is the emotional history she carries. It's that feeling documented about what tyrannous institutions do to the human soul. What happens to us when that compassionate part of ourselves is in retreat? When our baser instincts are masters of the public scene? I had heard of the Gorenko's aristocratic background. That was her last name, Gorenko. The elite education, Tarskoye Cello, where Pushkin had gone to school. The queen of the pre-war literary scene she had been. Her statuesque beauty, her lovers. But I had also heard of the husbands who had been assassinated, sent to the gulags, the son imprisoned to silence her. It was a heaviness that I found uninviting because the suffering it reflected seemed, well, overwhelming. Hers was a world where sorrow reigned and God did not save. But about five years ago, I was on a train on my way to Brussels, and because the article I had been reading mentioned at Maktova, I googled the requiem and read it again. I had not finished when I reached Brussels, but there were lines that remained with me, like a chant, and as I walked to the taxi stand, I found myself repeating them. These were the lines. Not under the vault of alien skies, not under the shelter of alien wings. I was there with my people then, there where my people unfortunately were. Simple words, direct and clear, devoid of metaphorical layer, quick into the core of the emotion. No protection, no foreign aid. My entire country was hurting, and I, I hurt with them. I think that presence has to be one of the greatest demonstrations of love, not the only one. But to me, the greatest, to be there. And to be there when you can do nothing to assuage the pain, but simply share it. Share it when the Black Marias, those were the police vans, are hauling off the neighbors, the friends, the lovers, the husbands, the beloved son. Amaktova never left Russia, never stole away, even when her particular circumstances might have allowed for it. In response to the brutal violence of the Great Purge, which lasted two years from 1936 to 1938 and took the lives of at least 750,000 people and sent more than a million to the gulags, a million in the face of that. Like a solemn friend by the hospital bed, she held her country's hand. And it's her acknowledgement of that suffering that I find infinitely loving. It is this love that I begin seeing as I spent hours reading her poems. That love that made me love her and made me want to share her poems with you.
I think that Agmaktova's ability to illustrate the purest of emotional currents was always there. In the war, Stalin, the Great Purge, magnified it because then love became an expression of loss. I want to read you a few of her early poems, which feel like almost preparation for the greater depth of feeling that the times would warrant. They're all whimsical and saucy, it's all arrows, physical and lovely. I'm reading from the collection Evening, and the one which made her a household name in Russia, Rosary. And for all, I'm using the Judith Hemsmeyer's translations. This one was written in 1915. The palms of your hands are burning. The Easter bells ring in your ears. You are like St. Anthony, tempted by a vision. Why into the holy days did this certain day thrust its way like the bushy hair of a crazed Magdalene? Only children love like this. And then, only the first time. Stronger than anything on earth, is the light in those tranquil eyes. This longing is impure, the devil's snare, wider than anything on earth was her hand. This one is sharp, caustic, and full of irony, and showcases her ability to hone in on tiny moments that reveal an emotional state. The speaker visibly has been rejected and addresses her lover. I'm not asking for your love. It's in a safe place now. Please believe me that I won't write jealous letters to your bride. But take my advice. Give her my poems to read. Give her my portraits to keep, really. You're such a lovely pair. And these little fools need those sense of total victory. More than friendship's casual banter. And the memory of the first tender days. When you have spent the pennies of the light with your sweetheart and your surfeited soul feel sudden disgust. Don't come to me on my triumph at night. I won't know you. And how can I help you? I don't cure anyone of happiness. Maktova's ability to take snapshots of emotional states is perfected when she rids herself of amorous reveries and decides to bear witness to her people's devastation. And the poem that best catalogs that transition for me is in memoriam July 19, 1914. Here it is.
We aged a hundred years, and this happened in a single hour. The short summer had already died. The body of the plowed plain smoked. Suddenly, the quiet road burst into color. A lament flew up, ringing silver. Covering my face, I implored God before the first battle to strike me dead. Like the burden henceforth, unnecessary, the shadows of passion and song vanished from my memory. The Most High had ordered it, emptied it, to become a grim book of calamity. Lovers will evolve to beloved and the beloved, invariably, Mother Russia. And inside this mother, the innumerable children lost to the shell. For me, it's almost impossible to divorce Akmaktova from that mother figure. And the requiem, which grabbed me on that train ride to Brussels and never really let me go, is this beautiful psychological portrait of what it means to die, not with a bang, but a whimper, as Eliot had prophesied. And it is heart-wrenching, because it speaks true to the wide mantle she weaves around her departed, and offers a woefully accurate account of how human beings crumble under the weight of having too much pain. In my mind, it is her greatest work, with parts memorized by different friends because it was too subversive and therefore too dangerous to put that grief to paper. Imagine that. Whenever I read The Requiem, I'm often reminded of Emily Dickinson's line, After a great pain, a formal feeling comes. And there is a formality to Amaktova's Requiem, a distance, it seems, that only suffering can establish. Perhaps it's denial. 
of a pain, a realization. This is happening to me. How can it? Akmaktova mm. in the opening of the Requiem alludes to the Streltsy, a mutinous regiment tortured in exile for their crime. But most importantly, it's about the fate of their wives. Perhaps I've said too much. Here is the prologue. That was when the one who smiled were dead, glad to be at rest. And like a useless appendage, Leningrad swung from its prison. And when, senseless from torment, regiments of convicts march, and the short songs of farewell were sung by locomotive whistles, the stars of death stood above us, an innocent Russia riding under the bloody boot, under the tires of the Black Marias. icon shelf the candles were dying on our lips was the icon's chill the deathly sweat on your brow unforgettable i will be like the wives of the streltsy howling under the kremlin towers You should have been shown, you mocker, minion of all your friends, gay little sinner of Torskoye's cello, what would happen in your life, how 300 in line with a parcel you would stand by the crusty prison, your fiery tears burning through the New Year's ice. Over there, the prison poplars bend and there is no sound. Over there, how many innocent lives are ending now?
Seven, the sentence. And the stone word fell on my still living breast. Never mind. I was ready. I will manage somehow. Today, I have so much to do. I must kill memory once and for all. I must turn my soul to stone. I must learn to live again. Unless summer's ardent rustling is like a festival outside my window. For a long time, I've foreseen this brilliant day, deserted house. faces fall, how terror darts from under eyelids, how suffering traces lines of stiff cuneiform on cheeks, how locks of ashen blonde or black turn silver suddenly, how smiles fade on submissive lips and fear trembles in a dry laugh. And I pray not for myself alone, but for all those who stood there with me and cruel cold in July's heat at that blind red wall. Epilogue 2 Once more, the day of remembrance draws near. I see, I hear, I feel you. The one they almost had to drag at the end. The one who tramps her native land no more. The one who, tossing her beautiful head, said, Coming here is like coming home. I'd like to name them all by name. But the list has been confiscated and is nowhere to be found. I have woven a wide mantle for them, for their meager, overheard words. I will never forget them always and everywhere. I will never forget them no matter what comes. And if they gag, 
my exhausted mouth through which a hundred million scream. Then may the people remember me on the eve of my remembrance day. And if ever in this country they decide to erect a monument to me, I consent to that honor under these conditions. That it stand neither by the sea where I was born, my last tie with the sea is broken, nor in the czar's garden near the cherished pine stump when inconsolable shade looks for me, but here where I stood three hundred hours and they never unbolted the doors for me, this less than blissful death I forget. The rumbling of the Black Marias. Forget how that detested door slammed shut and an old woman howled like a wounded animal. And may the melting snow stream like tears and a prison dove coo in the distance. And the ships of the never sailed calmly on. Blessed be God, tells us the French poet Charles Baudelaire, who gives us suffering as the only divine remedy for our follies. This is where we end. This has been Poet on Song, and my name is Mariama Antoine. The music that you've heard on this podcast is as follows Another Man, Dawn Gone by Vedetta, We Praise Thee by Pavel Chesnikov, interpreted brilliantly by Dmitry Vostovsky with the St. Petersburg Chamber Choir. Nikolai Kornyev is the conductor. Six Impromptus Opus 5 by Gene Sibylus, interpretation by Lee of Arnes. Melody in F, Opus 3, Number 1, by Antoine Rubinstein, interpretation by Mural Lempany. Salvation is Created, Opus 25, Number 5, by Pavel Chesnikov, with the Patnam Institute Mel Choir. Vladimir Gorbik is the conductor. We Hem Thee, by Pavel Chesnikov, interpreted by the Tenebrae Choir. Nido Short is the conductor. Song of Turbulent Youth, by the Eric Weinhardt Ensemble. Tears by Saint Cologne, interpretation by Jordi Saval. Kagda mi bili nava inya, when we were at war, performed by the Stratensky Monastery Choir. Kendenzenen, Opus 15, Number 7 in F Major by Robert Schumann, interpreted by Ivan Moroveg. Joy of the Celestial Forces by the Drevner Ruski Rospef Mel Choir. The Thirgy of St. John, Chrysalim 5, Cherubumic Hymn by Andrei Zabaronov in the Bolshoi Theatre Children's Choir. 
Dark Eyes by Stenka Razine, Opus 13, interpreted by Philip Davenet and Marshall Murray. You can listen to Poet on Song on most podcast platforms and on poetonsong.com. If you like what you've heard, I hope that you'll follow us on Instagram and share the podcast. Do come again, for I'll be exploring next the spirituals of the 19th century's great African-American poet, Paul Lawrence Dunbar. See you then.